Blog Talk Radio. to another live broadcast of Spirituality Today. I'm your host, Jamie Sanders, along with Denise Jurgen. We're coming to you live from Unity of Pensacola and from Unity of Music City is my wild and fun co-host who will be joining us in just a second. And so we want to say welcome to the show and thank you for being a part of what we do once again for this live broadcast. We're going to bring you another 90 minutes of information, insight, empowerment, and laughter as we talk about spiritual principles, how to live them, how to be them, and how to seek and find our bliss all while doing so. On our program today, we are excited to welcome back two of our recurring colorful personalities to the program. In our first segment, Coach Carla McClellan will be giving us coaching tips on how to successfully stay on track with our intentions that we have set for the new year. Notice I didn't say resolutions. I gave up using that word because intentions just feels more powerful. And then in our last hour, Dr. Jerry Levine returns to chat with Denise and I about change, both minor and major, how we face it, how we handle it, and how we can carry on no matter what is before us. So we want to say welcome to my wonderful co-host, Denise. How are things today in Nashville? I hear it's a little rainy, but rain or shine, you know I love me some Nashville. I know. I just love being here. You know, there. I was at a meeting last night, and they were talking about how that Nashville is all of a sudden being called the It City. And I'm like, oh, cool, finally. I live somewhere where it's the It City. But, you know, it is raining a little bit, but it's warmer than it was. We had a huge bout of very, very cold weather for us, a little bit of snow, but down in the single digits and that is unusual for us so i am very thrilled if it wants to rain it can rain at least it's right at 60 degrees so i'm thrilled with that how about you miss carla how are you today great it's it's warm here in kansas city but very windy we're going to get uh smashed with some interesting weather um this weekend in time for the uh Chiefs playoff game. So, <clears throat> yay! <laughs> yay! So, what you got for us, Carla, today? Well, I've I've got a way that we can use um, spiritual principles practically to create more inner peace, joy, and true happiness in 2017. You guys interested? I think that's awesome. Absolutely. Bring it on. So so what creates meaning in our life? Well, what creates meaning is, is really identifying who we are, right? Who am I? Yes. And so what our principles tell us is you are the, um, the manifestation of an incredible creative force we call God. 
um, and that that power that lies within you, whatever you claim is your quality of being, is who you be, right? Right. So when we decide who we are willing to be right here in this moment now, we be that. Now, what do we do with being that quality of uh I've got too many beings in there, don't I? What's going to be a tongue twister here pretty soon? <laughs> yeah, no. So, so we got to know who we're willing to be right right now, and we also to be fully engaged to have a sense of fulfillment in our life. We have to be intentional, but intentional about using our energy in 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 a direction. That, that carries us forward in life, that allows us to demonstrate the dream that we have in our imagination. So it, it becomes twofold. You, we have to become clear about who we're willing to be, and we have to be clear about our intentions. Now, I, before the show, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let our listeners in on a secret. Before the show, we gab. The three of us gab before the show starts. Are you going to tell all of our secrets? No. No, no, okay. no. <laughs> no, I like doing the show too much to do that. <laughs> but I heard you say, Denise, that you had gone um, from Nashville, where your ministry is, um, down to Panama City in Florida to do a visioning with a friend for, for the year. And it was an awesome experience to I, – I love the beach. I love the mountains, too. But there's something about being at the ocean and the expansiveness of it all that helps me get clear and vision about the new year, if that makes sense, and helps me begin to set intentions for me. Exactly. So if we want 2017 to be different than 2016, we gotta, we got to shift our vision and our intentions, Right. Yes. Otherwise, yes. we're just um, we're just acting without a sense of purpose and direction. You know. So last weekend is when I got together with a group of Unity folks and my daughter Heather, and we did we did a visioning process and made our vision boards for 2017. And why this becomes so? You think, oh, artsy, crafty. You know, what does good does that do? In fact, <laughs> driving over. To do it, my daughter said to me, well, you know, last year on New Year's Eve, Mom, we did a vision board, and I said, yeah, I remember. I said, that was quite a powerful experience for me to have it with my daughter, my grandson, and my husband. And and um, she said, but, you know, when I think back upon it, nothing that was on my vision board came, in, came true. Wow. And I said, yeah. I said, well, honey, it's the the whole practice is based upon principles that work, that work for everyone, and that um, are constant and true no matter what the circumstances are. So, so the feedback you're getting from the universe isn't that, oh, vision doesn't work. It's that there was something missing a component of the vision that was missing. And most times what it is is the, the 
emotional attachment, that focus on the vision, no matter what's happening around you. It's that feeling it's already here right now in this moment, and then acting as if it is true right now, not waiting for it to come into our experience, right? Most definitely, yes. Would you, you know my? Yeah, I, I do. I'm, I'm taking notes here. Okay. All right. You know, my one of my mentors was Mary Morrissey, and one of her quotes is that you can't get to your dream, you have to come from it. And she talked yes. about the same thing. You have to be that vibrational energy of your dream for it to pull you. Um, I don't necessarily want to be pushed. I want to be pulled from that vision yes. that I have. A vision, a vision pulls you. A yes. vision pulls you. Uh, an intention then gives you a sense of purpose and direction. So, so let's talk about what a life's intention is, okay? Yeah. So in my definition, a life's intention is an underlying direction, aim, or purpose that comes from deep within me and is the living spirit behind my goals and dreams. It is a longing to be known for something that I contribute to life. So it's different than saying I intend to go to the grocery store and pick up milk on my way home. Um, that's just that's just a promise you make. Okay, I need milk, I'll go to the store. But a life's intention really gives your energy a direction, a purpose. And so... Um, so how do you decide what your intention is? Well, I have a real interesting um, life's intentions inventory that I give to clients. And I use for myself um, at the beginning of every year. And I go through the life's intentions inventory, and I pick what's really, really important to me right now. So 2017, where am I going to focus my energy? What's meaningful to me this year for me to be acting from, right? Right. So um, you want me to share some things? I would love that. Okay. Well, one of my intentions is to be a contributor to my community. Mm. And um, because all of us want to know our life's making a difference. Correct? Right. All we have to do is breathe in, breathe out is what I tell people, and your life's making a difference. But we want to know we are a contributor to our community, that we are taking part in the evolution of life. And so what, would, what do I mean by being a contributor to my community? Well, what I mean is what I would write under the intention, which is an action step. You know, so what's an action step I could take out of the intention to be a contributor to my community? And so for me, because I'm at Unity Village and, um, and Life Coach Carla, what, what I am telling um, the employees here at Unity Village is I'm willing to offer coaching to the employees at a greatly reduced rate. Um, so that we're all in the game of life together. So my community is the Unity community. It's the Kansas City community. It is the world community. This is one way that I can be a contributor 
to my community. Make sense? That is very awesome. Yes. So another thing is to be a loving family member. So that's one thing to say. It's like when you say, okay, which principle, what are the five um, basic principles of unity, and we rattle them off. What does that mean? Rattling them off doesn't do anything, does it? No. It might wake you up to, oh, okay, all right. It might wake you up to, you know, what do I really believe these principles? Who am I if I stand upon these principles? Um, what meaning does my life have? So principles are important, but they aren't meaningful until there's action taken on them. Agreed? Agreed. So for each intention that we set for the year like 2017, I'm like you, I've got seven intentions that I have written down so far with seven action steps that um, that I have pictures to go along with it that I put on a vision board. Now yes. you can you you can do whatever you want to do with your intentions, but keep them in front of you every single day. Keep your vision close by so that when there's a phone call that is very important or perhaps even crucial, you remember what's yes. my intention? Where am I living from? Who am I willing to be in this situation um, that brings forth a collaborative result? Because that's my, that's my word for 2017, is collaboration. That's a great word. Isn't it? Yes, and it is. To me, it, it speaks to, um, to what's going on in our country, what's going on in our world. So it's like um, we can compete with one another and try and be the bestest of whatever we're doing, or we can collaborate with the mastery within each and every person we connect to. And I'd rather collaborate. Me too. It's much more fun, and there's much many more possibilities than the competition and the, the having to be the right one, you know? Most definitely. If I'm not... And- it gives yeah. you a, it, it gives you another perspective and something to you know, like I I like to grow. I'm always in this process of wanting to expand and grow and learn something and be curious about. And I like yes. to collaborate with people because I'm always curious because sometimes they have different ways of looking at the same thing that I'm looking at. So that's why you be coach and minister. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> that's it. You know, yeah. yesterday I had an appointment with um, with somebody who has uh, started a new company, um, and he's focusing on nonprofits and marketing. Right. And I thought, oh, okay, well, this might be interesting. And one of my girlfriends said, yeah, he wants to give a discounted rate to nonprofits. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. So I went downtown to meet with him. And, you know, it's right in the center of town where his office is. We spent two hours over lunch. And and what we found out very quickly by being willing to be vulnerable, authentic, and intentional to right. speak our visions to each other was we saw how um, us getting together at this particular time was a synchronistic experience 
because he's just starting his business. He's got oceans of experience, but he wants to focus on nonprofits that are doing transformational work, and I really want support to go to the next level with my coaching. Right. So he had the two hours to spend with me, and now we're bestest buddies, and the good news is I can afford his services. (laughs) How cool is that? (laughs) It's a win-win for you both. (laughs) <laughs> but going there, I had to dare to be brave, you know, to risk. Yes. I had to be very intentional with my words and my actions. And I had to be willing to come from my vision in a way that was clear, focused, and graceful. Right. So maybe I didn't do the graceful, but he seemed to like me. (laughs) Well, what's not to like, Carla? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, and the the other part about um, my intentions for this year is I want to be an adventurer. So what's the action step I'm going to take for that? So you see what I'm doing as as. I'm taking this particular January 2017 to be really clear about what I want to bring into my life this year. And it's so important for me to bring it into my life this year because I claim it to be um, a year of mastery and collaboration. Cool. That's an awesome intention. So what about your intentions, Denise? Well, I have set an intention for myself and for our church community. And when you were talking about, you know, collaboration and moving as a contributor out into the community, one of the things that I am, uh, my church is saying that I'm pushing them a little bit, but I think they're ready to be pushed, is to be a bigger force out in our Nashville community. And so we have a hashtag force for good, and I'm actually Ooh, doing like that with, it. with myself and with our congregation this year. And, you know, finding different ways. We've always been a pencil partner with a school, and we've always done, you know, second harvest foods. But I'm talking about really going out there and doing something that makes a difference in the Nashville community. And, I love um, it. So that's kind of where I'm focusing, and it, I found, find it easy if I focus on the same intention as my congregation does, we kind of do better that way. So, Well, you've got the, the combined energy. Yes, we do. You know, Most definitely. So, so when you feel like low energy, somebody in your community is going to say, well, remember, this is what we're about. Oh, yes. okay, now that I remember. That is very true. So that's yeah. what I'm doing. And we all know that um, chemicalization will occur. So as we claim this, as we see this as our vision, as we set our intention um, for what it is that we say is most important to us this year, everything that's not like that will arise. Right, right. And that's why we need each other so much. I agree. I wonder what that Jamie Sanders over there's intention for the year is. I don't is. know. Let's ask him. Okay. Well, I think the big thing that's come up for me is, and I keep hearing myself saying it, so it's got to be an intention, is that it is not my job to police the universe. And, you know, sometimes when we're the leader 
of a congregation or an organization, I think sometimes we feel it's our it's our duty to police the universe. And some, I mean, sometimes you do have to call a thing a thing, as Ian Levanzant says. But to get, I can't fix you. Um, please don't waste my time by asking my opinion and then every two seconds interrupt me because I'm not going to speak. I'm, I'm going to stop. But one of the notes that I wrote that when Carla was talking was being a, um, a contribution, bringing a contribution to your community. And what came to mind for me from 2016 was, and I want, I want our listeners to get this as well, um, it's a positive thing. To be a contribution right. means to be a positive thing. And so complaining is not an option of being right. the contribution you bring to the table. Because as we all know, there's a lot of people who love to point out what they think is not right, but they can't bring <laughs> any positive energy to the vision board. And so we want to be so clear that if, as you're listening to this and the tips that Coach Carl is giving, is that being a, a contributor to your community is about us being our highest and best when we show up. We can spend 20 minutes talking about what wasn't done correctly from the last leaders and the leaders before that, but we forget to say, but where are we going? So a contribution mm-hmm. is about what can I bring to the table that would build this? What can I praise? And what can I hold as a vision of goodness? So that that's what's on my mind. So I wrote that down is to make sure that people understand that complaining is not a contribution. It's a detriment. Right. And, and um, um, it's not that your opinion um, isn't isn't worthy, but but it's not helpful in forward movement. You know, it's like right. if you need your opinion heard, go tell your bestest buddy. Don't bring it forward in a, a town hall meeting in the church. You know, right. it's like you know, it's one of our the reasons that are based uh, our principles are based on positive practical action. Yes. You know, it's one of the reasons that I I focus a lot when I'm working with my leaders at church and working on visioning and moving forward in, you know, a process. I don't do the whole process, but things like appreciative inquiry because I say I want to know the good things. Yes. I want to focus on what we do well and make that bigger. Bigger. And so, you know, I'm getting ready to do a leadership training on Saturday all day long with my leaders. And, you know, we're going to tell some stories of, you know, what some times here that we have enjoyed the most, what, you know, what drew you to this church and why are you here, those kinds of things. So, yes. Well, one of the things that I was sharing with you guys um, uh, at the beginning of, of the show before we went on air is that, um, I now have a, a, a different office at Unity Village. And yes. the way this came into fruition was our new president asked everybody who worked at Unity to give him their why they worked here. What was it that kept them working here? What did they love about it? You know, And it just spoke to me so... Um, uh, strongly that to know why somebody is there speaks oceans more than necessarily um, what needs to be corrected about their performance. 
you know, you can point out some incoherence because we're all learning all the time. You know, it takes, I can't remember, 10,000 hours to be a master at anything. That's a lot of time. <laughs> and um, so I wanted him to know my why, why I was here. And in doing so, um, uh, a new synergy emerged. And um, and so I've got a whole new vision about what Life Coach Carla might be about in 2017. So, you know, it's it's important to know our purpose. It's important to speak our vision in a way that the people who hear it will hear it and the people that don't, don't worry about them. Right. Don't worry yeah. about them. Right. Yes. Jamie? Um, Renee, Renee Adcock is, is one of our listeners. She's been on the show with us before, and she texts, and she said that I mean, her dad was in the military and says when they used to say in the military, don't bring a problem without a solution. And I love that because, and I think that's a principled energy as well um, to move us from our addiction. I mean, if we're going to honor our intentions, which for me what comes up with intention is what am I willing to shift and change in me? You know, and we think, oh, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to shake this organization up. Uh, first and foremost, my my primary um, intention is about shifting and changing something within me. Because if we yes. have the mindset that everything around us is not working but we're good to go, we're missing the mark. <laughs> and as Donald Trump says, bigly, um, I think if yeah. you think that you don't have any work to do, uh, something's something's really missed the mark because it's always about our intention is being aware of what could I change in me to have a greater um, capacity to love, to forgive, to serve my community. Um, where am I willing to give more and not seek so much? What can I get and what can I take? That's a huge intention is just simply being mindful of our behavior and what do I want to change in me? What do right. I want to shift in me in 2017? So I, I think it, well, that's I really wanna, powerful. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to duplicate 2016. You know, that's gone. Right. I want to use 2017 in a way to be a contribution to my community. You know, Fillmore said that um, uh, manifestation began when we demonstrated in our imagination with our faith what our, what our vision was. So it's mind idea before you go into expression. So you have to be able to manifest it in your mind, in your consciousness. So it's mind and also your emotions. You have to be it before you can take it out into the world to be that demonstration. I agree. So so Carla, can you give us in the next few minutes, for people who are listening in, I mean, it's a new year. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be new people listening to the program. So can you tell people if they are interested in contacting you, if they're interested in coaching sessions, how they can reach you? Yes, and for everyone who is listening, I am willing to share the life intention inventory I have with you. It's a form, you know, that it's got several, it's got 28 intentions on it, which basically cover um, most of our intentions and also space to write in something different if something comes up for you. So if you would like a life intention inventory, email me, Carla, 
C-A-R-L-A, at lifecoachcarla.com. If you would like a coaching session, also email me, and um, we'll find a time to connect. Um, uh, my website right now is is going through a transition, but I keep my Facebook page, Life Coach Carla, current. I do respond through Messenger, and I'm here to serve you. What could I do with you that would make a difference for your life in 2017? All right. Well, thank you, of course, for always taking the time out of your busy schedule, for taking the time to be with us, to be with our listeners, and to always empower us to do greater things. So we love you, and we will have you back shortly on an upcoming episode of the program. So thank you, Carla. You're so welcome. See you soon, my friends. Bye now. Bye, Carla. Always good to have Coach Carla on with us. And so really this this whole topic of intentions leads us really into our next segment um, with Dr. Jerry Levine, excuse me, is that, you know, setting an intention, sometimes the intention really could be to um, be open to change. Right. Be open to shifting into another state of consciousness, being open to letting go of our past stories, our past hurts, and stepping into new energy to where we can be transformed, transmuting the the pain of the past. So uh, I want to tell our listeners who may not have heard the show before when uh, Dr. Jerry's been on. So here's a little bit about Dr. Jerry Levine. She is an educational psychologist who is passionate about assisting individuals in stimulating brain efficiency. Communication workshops, the Erlen Method, and neurofeedback are the therapies used to help people strengthen their minds and their lives, creating more effective living. She is a spiritual teacher who is making a difference in the lives of individuals, seeking a greater awareness of their personal connections with the divine. And so we welcome back Dr. Jerry Levine. Welcome back, Jerry. Thanks, guys. How are you? Well, well, I'm great. I'm so glad you're going to be here today. I I love the conversation of change because I'm a person who enjoys change. So this is exciting to me. Oh, this is my favorite topic. <laughs> it is certainly <laughs> exciting to me. <laughs> Yay! Well, you know that's I mean that's a great that's a great leadway right there um, with you, Denise, is because a lot of people. You know, they say the things that people fear the most. I mean, you hear people and they say that the number one fear is um, having to get up and speak in public, I've heard. And the other is like right. skydiving, snakes, firewalking, all that good stuff. But for, and for a lot of people, it's just plain and simple change. That they do not like it when the time changes, it throws people off. They don't like it when, you know, well, that's not where you normally sit. Um, so I mean that That's kind of stuff freaks people. Yes. <laughs> that is my seat. And so I mean, for oh. us to talk about somebody who actually likes and appreciates change. So first of all, let's give your take on: did, Were you always someone who liked change, or was it something that you have learned to do as the years went by? Is that me or Jerry? You, and then we'll get to Jerry's okay, um, cool. take on it as well. Well, you know. I think because of, and you know, I, you've heard a little bit of my story, I think because I grew up in a very strict, strict home, and what I will say is the way that I was punished at times would be considered very abusive, and my parents would be in jail today, I can tell you that. And over the years, I learned how to um, 
change myself even in many situations, which can be considered codependent, but as I grew older, it gave me, um, and I would say, an edge up in being able to not be scared of moving out into different experiences because, you know, I can basically say as a child, I would have taken any kind of an experience versus some of what I was doing at home, if that makes sense. Um, I know that every child that goes through what I went through, that's not necessarily the case. But I have found over the years that I love to move. I love to go um, anywhere new that I've never been and experience what that's like. And one of the experiences I generally give on a Sunday morning at least once a year is I will just, without warning, you know, we will change something up in the service or I will say on the count of three, I'm going to ask everyone to get up and change seats. And then we do a conversation in the sanctuary about, did you just get up and move, or did you pick up all of your paraphernalia and move it with you? Did you go with one of your friends to a different seat, or did you go by yourself? And, you know, I think it's an important topic for us as human beings because the only thing we can really count on is change. That's all. So did that answer your question on any level? Yeah, it did, and and that makes a good point because, you know, one of the things that, you know, Jerry can tell you as well, when we go to Edwin Gaines's retreats, Edwin is so adamant that we are not to sit with the same people at the same table, and it used right. to drive me crazy. <laughs> and and then I realized she has a reason for doing that because mm-hmm. she does want, because we do tend to stick in our little groups. Yeah. Uh, we stay where we're familiar. And like you were saying, you would have done anything to change your your scenery as a child. Right. But some people stay in abusive relationships and that yes. sort of thing and because they'd rather stay with what they know than to right. step out into the so called unknown. So Jerry, I mean what's what's your take? I mean, with all the, the brain work that you do that is it unusual for someone to be like Denise and who readily embraces change or do you find that most people are, are concerned with things being moved and changed up? I think that Denise is definitely in the minority. And I and so I think most whatever people say you're right. whatever you're doing, if we can just squeeze a little of that out of you and bottle it, we can um we can talk about prosperity on a different level. But yes. one of the things I have always hated change. Makes me uncomfortable. Even good change because the brain doesn't get the difference. The right. brain only understands that something's going to be different. And I think that the majority of us have had a mindset for whatever reason, nature or nurture, or certainly a combination of the two, that have said change is bad, change is scary, and and the brain reacts to that. The brain really responds to that. And so it's it's been a long process for me to embrace change and to want to not that I didn't want things to be different or I didn't desire a different result. There certainly have been many times in my life I wanted a different outcome than what I was creating or a different situation to be in. But that follow through of, okay, so now I have to actually do the work. That's where change is. That's what the work is. 
The work is us changing. And so that part was really sticky for me. And there are times even now something amazing will happen. And my first gut reaction is not always yippee. It's, ooh, this is new. Ooh, this is different. And at least now I have the tools that I can talk myself off the ledge. Right. But for a long time I didn't have that. And I think that we wind up sabotaging ourselves often because we get so hung up in the emotion of it. And it's for me it's being able to move out of the emotion, moving out of the limbic system, moving out of the amygdala into the prefrontal cortex, into the light, into the ability to reason and and make rational decisions. You know, Oscar Wilde said, I don't want to be at the mercy of my emotions. I want to use them to enjoy them and to dominate them. And I think the majority of us desire that. I think we just don't always know how to get there. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I do a lot of coaching with people and You know, I have people that will sit with me and say what they want, and then I talk about the bridge that we're going to be building between where they are and where they want to go. And then when the the light bulb goes on with some of them and they realize that they have to change something, it's not like this fairy is just going to dump this in their lap. You know, then it's like, oh, dear God. You mean I've got to change? Yes, because if you were already that, you would already have that. You know, it, it's a huge right. concept for people to begin to understand. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and I know that there are times that when I when I start, people their eyes kind of glaze over, and and I don't want to get too nerdy, and I don't want to get too brain specific. But I think that when we can understand that, oh, it's just my amygdala overreacting. That's all this is. Right. I think that takes away a lot of the guilt and the shame and the sabotage. This is an incredibly physical experience I'm having in this moment. And when right. I can know that, man, that changes the emotionality of it for me. Oh, okay. So I don't know how to deal with a partner that is is driving me crazy or I don't know how to get out of a job that I can't stand or I don't know what to do with my kid who won't come home, you know, by curfew or, you know, any of those things, we get so hung up in the emotionality of that that it's hard to literally think straight. And when I can say, oh, my brain's over-aroused, my amygdala's overreacting, I'm not coming from a logical space, I'm coming from a primal fight-or-flight or freeze space, I know how to change that. And right. if that's what I focus on, rather than the fact that I don't know where my kid is and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, I can right. change that. And then I can come up with a plan to deal with my kid who's out at 2 o'clock in the morning. Most definitely. Um, I had a conversation with a congregant the other day that was talking about just some of the stuff that's going on out in the world and politics and blotty blotty, and talked about feeling like they were being sucked out into this emotional, you know, vortex of skank on some level. And I said, <laughs> and, you know, and you don't you don't have to allow that to happen to you. You know, I, I think... I'm going to work that phrase into conversation, <laughs> FYI, but go ahead. Like an emotional <laughs> yes. vortex of skank. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think sometimes we forget, and especially us people who 
consider ourselves new thought and semi-enlightened that, you know, we don't have to do that. We can change our thoughts. I mean, how many times do we say that, Jamie, in lessons, in all kinds of things? Change your thoughts. Well, hello, change your thoughts. But, you know, that's change too, and I want to think this, you know. I've had people say to me, I want to be mad. <laughs> all righty, have a big time. So. <laughs> What do you think, Jamie? Well, you know, I just posted on Facebook <clears throat> asking people, do they deal with change well or do they avoid it, which, you know, right. nobody's answered me yet. But the thing is, is I, I'm checking my own it. self for this. <laughs> they're avoiding answering the question. But I, I think the big thing is, I mean, I can't, I'm sure all three of us can think of, of times in our life that there was a change that was taking place and we were absolutely terrified but then, you know, I always do this thing in my mind when I'm in meditation where I, like, I visualize that I'm walking down this trail, and at some point I stop and I turn back and I look over my shoulder at what I came through. <clears throat> and then you realize, you know, that you, I mean, even though it was scary, that shift, even though it felt like everything was falling apart, that shift and that experience took us to the next people, the next job, the next uh, spiritual awakening that required um, our shifting and growing. And so even though it's frightening, and nobody ever said it doesn't, it doesn't have to be frightening. No one ever said, but it's when we stay stuck. And I think that's, that's one of the major things is staying in relationships that we know are not working, staying right. in marriages that we know are not working. And I always say, um, I, I've seen it lately more and more, people that I dearly love who are in relationships and the very foundation of those relationships are shifting. And it doesn't mean that they stop loving each other. I'm really right. clear on that. But they, somewhere they're having this thing, and I don't know if it's 2017, but relationships are changing. And, and I don't know if you're seeing it in your congregation, Denise, or not. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there's a lot of um, upheaval in emotions and people purging this energy. And so I, that's what I keep saying to myself, even with the election. Um, right. And I don't get into all that stuff, but I'm telling you, I have to keep reminding myself, and Jerry and I had dinner one night with um, Edwin Gaines, and we were talking about this, about somewhere we have to stay principled and know that God has got this, which means right. not just the election, not just politics, the government, but God has got this, and I'm moving my hand over my heart space as well, and that somewhere we have to go, I, I am trusting and the, and the spirit of, of truth and wisdom to live and move through me so that I can do all things that are mine to do. That's my take on it. Right, right. Well, and I believe that the darkness or whatever you want to call this, this negativity, I think it's coming up to the surface to be healed. And unfortunately, some people are fighting with it. And, you know, we can't push against it. So I, I think it's a very interesting time to be alive. I think it's a time when what Jerry's talking to us today is so very important that we know that we have the power to go through this change and to create a world the way we want it to be. But, you know, I, I think we see little pockets of things that we don't like and then we forget and we get scared and we stay stuck, as you said, stuck in old relationships, stuck in old stuff. And I, I just, 
I believe that human beings are equipped with marvelous intelligence and the potential to create many, many amazing things, but I also believe that people are afraid of having to change their own thoughts or change their own behaviors or most a lot of people don't even realize they can change their emotions. They don't even understand any of that. So But one of the Jerry, things just how, got posted. How does that feel? Yeah, oh well go ahead, well, Jamie. Let me let me share this because this I want then I want Jerry to address this because okay. you know, Jerry this is a friend of Jerry and I's that just posted this on Facebook and and our friend Sharon says that she's open to change but she also avoids it out of habit and fear which that really struck a chord in me because you know we we always say a new thought if you keep doing what you've always done keep getting what right. you always got. But, I mean, again, it is the fear, so there is this emotional thing. What will I do if this happens, or where will I go if this happens? And so it goes back to that that famous story that Cindy Lippert told on the air that day about Catherine Ponder. I can't wait to see what good comes from this, which has always just moved my spirit, that if I could be in that consciousness that no matter what is before me, to keep affirming that, saying it till we mean it. So, Jerry, what is the thing about the habit? Because this goes back to brain stuff. And and I don't know what your take is, but brain stuff is where I think. So tell me if I'm off key here. Habits and fears are probably mostly stored and created in the brain. Absolutely. And I I love the technical technical terminology, brain stuff. Let's go with that. Because what happens, yeah, what happens is, Okay, it's like a needle in a groove. And the deeper we run that needle, the deeper that groove and the harder it is to get out of that groove. And so we get in this very cyclic routine between a cue, something that sometimes we call them triggers, something that that stimulates us positively or negatively, and we get caught in this loop that's a cue, routine, reward. So we get get triggered, we get cued, something's up, something's different, something's going to change. And immediately, depending on what our past experiences have been, that's the first place we go because the the limbic brain, the, the old ancient system, the part of us that has kept us alive for centuries and millennia is that part that plays the, it plays the alarm system. And so it first raises an alarm. Oh no, this is bad. Oh no, something's happening. Oh no, what are we going to do? And it's so fascinating to me because it's concentration is one of the things that we need to strengthen in order to combat this. And in our society, we're moving so far away from being able to concentrate for any period of time. Nowadays, a 30-second soundbite is forever. Mm-hmm. We're, getting, we're getting all our information in 140 characters on Twitter. We're getting our information in a 10-second picture on Snapchat that then disappeared. We're, we are not concentrating at all. And so it's, it just, it's, it's so fascinating to me because it's so working against us. What we want to do is we want to improve our attentional bandwidth, right? We want to rewire our brains into more efficient, higher-performing machines 
because we want to train the brain to do what we want. We don't want to feel hijacked. Right. And so when the amygdala takes over, when we let that limbic brain, when we let that fight, fight, flight, or freeze rule us, we have no control, and we are dousing the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that can think rationally. We are dousing it with dopamine. And and dopamine doesn't allow for cognitive function. It, it it distracts us, and it allows that amygdala to kind of take over. What we want is we want more norepinephrine. We want to create a space where we can be conscious and we can make conscious decisions. And we may not enjoy the decisions that we're having to make, but we need to not have a knee-jerk reaction, and we need to, to be able to to look at all of the aspects of what we're deciding upon or what we're responding to instead of reacting to so we can make the best decisions that we can. And the more we can do that, the more we start that new groove. And I want my response groove to be so much deeper than my react groove in my brain. I want my, you know, I want to be able to to think rationally. I want my brain to be effective, and and even in the middle of the storm, and even though I know at the end of the day that something good is going to come from this, because that's my belief system. Sometimes I have a hard time getting there, and sometimes I have a hard time staying in that knowing that this is for my good when nothing around me looks like it's very good. And so in those moments, there are some, some simple and some not so simple things to do. I think that can create more of a response instead of a reaction. And, and a lot of these y'all already know how important meditation is. And right. how important exercise is. And exercise is great because you can go play tennis and put whomever it is you're upset with, you can put their face on the tennis ball or the baseball <laughs> or the volleyball or, and whack the heck out of it. I mean, you know, you can use some of these things to, to relieve the stress. And you don't always have to be thinking, you know, lovely, positive thoughts. It's helpful if you do, but you don't have to. And we can, we can be angry. And it's important to be really clear about that and to acknowledge it. But like you were saying, Denise, I think then sometimes people get comfortable in that yes. lower frequency. Yes. And that that vortex gets easier and easier to stay in instead of instead of moving out of that. And exercise is a really great way to create more to create more activity in the in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, to be able to move out of those lower frequencies, those lower vibrations. And another thing that I don't know how easy this is, but it's super important, and it sounds totally unrelated to you, but I'm telling you, remove sugar from your diet. Oh, yeah. There yeah. is nothing in the world worse for the brain than sugar. Nothing you know, works. I can't remember who it was that said it was a doctor that I heard talking that said it's like the number one most horrendous addiction in our world today. And I'm sure oh, it is. Greater than heroin. Right. 
sugar addiction is greater than, is greater than a heroin addiction and and lights up the those pleasure receptors in the brain far more quickly than heroin and far more deeply than heroin. And think about so, the people that, that we all have worked with before, that the way they deal with change or fear or all of the above is that they eat. Right. And Absolutely. Stuff. Because. Yeah. <laughs> and what do, they, what do we usually eat? We usually yeah. don't eat celery sticks. No, no, that's not my number one choice. No, <laughs> right? <laughs> we want something. Our brain, see, our brains are so smart. They know what to make us do to stay stuck. And so they're going to right, say, so your amygdala is, go ahead. No, well, there's, there's people posting. So here's, I want to read some of these because, I mean, one of them, you know, Renee Adcock has, has said this. And so I want to address this since we're talking about brain. Renee is saying that's why it's um, harder with age because the grooves are deeper. So, you know, I'm a big component of not naming the, the thing about getting old, but let's talk about that for a moment. Is there anything brain-wise? I mean, I know people, I guess, what is it? It, it turns to putty. I don't know. I don't even want to affirm that. <laughs> but is it, is it, is there any truth to that as a doctor that the challenge is because the grooves go deeper as we get older? I mean, let's, let's talk about that for a moment. Okay. So, so we create deeper grooves for a number of reasons. And for uh, many, many years, we did not believe that you can teach an old dog new tricks. But guess what? You can. It's called neuroplasticity. And there are parts of changing those pathways that are super easy and not even conscious. And then some of them require more conscious work. If you look at the MRI or a PET scan of a 10-year-old child who has been severely abused, those grooves are going to be just as deep as a 55, 60-year-old person who has a negative outlook on life. So I don't think age is always the component. I think certainly it can be. It's just a matter of how often you reinforce something. And every moment you are reinforcing something. We all are. And as we reinforce a thought, a feeling, an emotion, something that all of a sudden we have taken and made it a fact, as we reinforce those beliefs, that's what makes the groove. So it's not necessarily age. It's how strongly you believe. Right. Okay. Right. And then Kelly, our friend Kelly, says, change is always challenging. Sometimes you just have to take the first step and know that the other steps will flow into place and take care of yourself first. And so I, I do think that, you know, it is a faith thing, dealing with change. I mean, the people who aren't into any kind of spiritual practice, religious practice, it really is about, you know, you can do the neuro-linguistic stuff. I mean, but it, it really comes down to uh, faithing it, and I said faith, not fake, faithing it till we make it into Keep believing I've come this far, and I'm going to keep on keeping on. So that's where the faith kicks in. But I think what Kelly just made the point of, I think it's imperative for us to get clear. If you're in any predicament, if you're in any um, job that isn't good for you, if you're in any relationship that is no longer for your highest and best, that you bless it and that you take care of yourself first and you get on with um, knowing that the universe has your back. You both agree with that? 
Oh, most definitely. Absolutely. Most definitely. I like that, Jamie, faithing it till we make it. That's very cool. You know, one of the other things that comes to mind, um, and I, I'm trying to think who said this, and I'm thinking it's Michael Beckwith, but he talked, he did a talk one time about moving from real to real, the first real being R-E-E-L to real R-E-A-L. And I know that some of the clients that I work with sometimes have what they call old tapes running in their mind. And so to make a change, they've overlaid what is real in their world with these old tapes that you're talking about, these old grooves, these old things, and they can't see it any differently at this point in time. They think it's going to turn out the same way that everything else has turned out. And so, Jerry, what do you say to people when they say that? Because I know people tell you the same thing. They do. And and I'm <laughs> I'm not always popular when we get to this point. Well, I'm because, sure you're not. Neither am I. But, but I just want to hear what you say. Sure. Well, because you have, says, you have to desire this. You have to want right. it to be different. You have to desire change in order to create it. You just, that's, I mean, that's the bottom line. And right. so while we're facing it and while we're getting to the other side, my job a lot of times is to come up with ways to to help my people do that, to, to give them exercises or to give them things to do that will begin to create a new groove right 15 years ago there was no neurological pathway for swiping your thumb across the face of your smartphone right none because we didn't do that now in every brain scan there is a neurological path for swiping your thumb right so some change and that honey that's a deep groove let me tell you now and so what's fascinating to me is that some of the changes that we can make don't have to be so painful and they don't have to be so hard and you don't have to constantly be you don't have to always be looking at what you're standing in in order to stand somewhere else does that make sense say that again no say it again you don't have to okay so all right so i'm gonna I, i tried to say it politely and it didn't work so i'm gonna do it differently yes you don't have to look at the shit you're standing in in order to get out of it Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry, but uh, there's not a yes. clearer way for me to make that point. I like that. And so when we firewalk, you don't look at the trail in front of you. You don't look at the pathway. You look where you're going. Right. And so my job is to help my people find ways to keep their heads up. Right. To keep looking. I'm not saying don't. I'm not saying that we deny where we are. Nobody would call me if they were denying where they were. <laughs> you right. Know? Yes. So, so once we've established that, okay, here's our situation. This is what we're standing in. We want to be over there on the hill in the green grass. So while we get there, let's do some stuff. Let's learn how to breathe. Let's use sound therapies, holosync or whole tones. And here's the cool thing about those, a 22-minute whole tones uh selection, I guess you would call it, not a song, but a selection, you don't have to pay attention. Your mind can wander. It doesn't mean that it's not helping make those changes in the brain, that it's not, it's still helping rewire the circuit. 
a gratitude journal, prayer, silly things, really simple things like you can't have a negative thought and a positive thought at the same time. It's impossible. Right. Brain can't do it. We do not multitask, FYI. We just don't. Our brains don't do that. And right. so it's 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 just a ridiculous term as far as I'm concerned. And so when when we go somewhere negative, we have to concentrate. We have to use that frontal cortex, and we have to turn that thought around. Another really interesting thing, just this year, Ohio State did a um, – did some work with with forgiveness, which I think is awesome when an when a institution like Ohio State is looking at forgiveness work. And what they found in this study was that in doing forgiveness work, when you write it down, so with me, because I believe in the different levels of learning and, co- you know, visual, kinesthetic, and auditory, you write it down, you say it, and then you flush it, you burn it, you throw it away. What Ohio State found is that the actual throwing away, however you get rid of what you have taken out of your body and put onto paper, whether you type it or whether you handwrite it, the, the, the action of, of getting rid of that is the key to letting go on some level because how we tag our thoughts as trash or as worthy of protecting makes a difference in how we use those thoughts. And so even the study even proved that even if you're typing this on a computer and you take that document and you drag it to the trash can and then you empty that icon makes a difference in your brain's ability to release what you're wanting to let go of. Right. That's pretty awesome. I, You know, it's not something that I didn't know, but I've never heard it spoken in that way, or I wasn't ready to hear it in that way, that it's not worthy of me. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, so and, here's, and an, an here's easy, another post. easy thing. All right, here's another post, which is I, wanna, I want each one of us to address this, because I think it's really powerful. <clears throat> it says, what happens when you don't want change how do you deal with that? Because I think a lot of times we're fearful of change, but I mean when you're adamant that I don't want I don't want to let go of this job, I don't want to let go of this relationship, I don't want to let go of you know this loved one who is making their transition. So, um, Denise, give me your take for this for this person. What happens when you don't want change? How do you deal with that? What's your take on it? Well. Um I am a big proponent in Byron Katie's work, and she does a lot of stuff around loving what is. And, you know, that's just one method, but I, again, have a deep belief that change is the only thing that really is, uh, that we can count on in our life. You know, I don't necessarily want to get older and my body sag the way that it's beginning to, but, you know, it is just something that's happening. So... If I can begin to be in the real moment and do my work, do my gratitude journals, breathe, know that it's just a gift to be alive, then I can walk through the change easier because there are many changes that that feel like they just come on us. I have another belief about that, but that's not what this show is about. But they feel like they just come on us and we are 
we, we don't have a choice but to walk through them. I can either walk through them or I can hunker down and hide in a hole somewhere. And so I do a process that Byron Katie does about learning uh, learning to love what is in this moment and be be thankful for what's going on that's positive in my life. What, what would that you, mean, Katie? though? I mean, loving, loving what is. What, I mean, for the person who's listening, what does that mean in, in so many words, to love what is? Even if it's something you don't want, bo- break it down bottom line. What does that mean? Okay. Um, I have a situation in my home and I'll make in in my mother's house that is not something that I like. She has allowed my 23-year-old son and his wife to live with her. He has finally gotten a job, but they don't have to pay any rent and she has enabled him to continue to live in this funky kind of a way that his dad and I did not support. Um I can either no longer see my mother and no longer talk to my son or I can love what is. And what I mean by that is I had to work on some deep beliefs that I had. Um, My mother is not supposed to try to steal my son away from me and, you know, my son is not supposed to be a derelict and sit in a house and play video games and and loving what is means that I say, are those statements really true? And if I choose to live with those statements being true, then how is my life going to be? It's going to be miserable because I'm constantly going to be trying to change what is. And what is, without my emotions attached to it, is just that my son and his wife live in the house with my mother and I can choose to go and see them and you know, deal with what is, or I cannot, but I don't have to put all of these beliefs on top of it that are beliefs that I've created in my own mind. Does that make any sense at all? It's incredible. Yeah. It does. I mean, I love that. Yeah. Right. So, so, Jerry, what's your I take on it? I told you at Christmas, I did not go to my mother's for Christmas dinner because Judy and myself had a Christmas Eve service, and my mother had Christmas Eve dinner later than she usually does because of my son's schedule. And my mother got upset with me because she said, this will be the first year, I'm 59 years old, in 59 years that you haven't been with me on Christmas Eve. And I said to her very succinctly, even after I had gone inside and Judy and I had sat at my house and I had gone, I can't believe my mother is so mean and nasty and she's And then I just said, okay, I'm going to love what is. And I said to her, you know, Mom, you made a choice to have the dinner later so that Logan could be there because he was getting off work later that day, and that choice does not work with my schedule, so I'm very sorry I won't be there. Now, did I have a little bit of about, yeah, this is Christmas Eve and I'm not at my mother's? Yes, I did, but... I learned I, I learned that if I can just love what is and go on, I can create a good time for myself. So yes, that was a huge change for me. Okay, Jerry, what's your take? Well, from a psychological standpoint, we usually call this particular stage pre-contemplation. Yeah. So it it usually comes with a feeling of this is just how I am. I'm not the one with the problem. <laughs> what's the point? I don't want to change anything, you know, and I think we can all immediately find times in our lives where we felt like everything around us was changing and we didn't want that change. 
We didn't want things to be different. We like the status quo. It's comfortable. And sometimes people, when, when, we, when we classify somebody in a pre-contemplation stage, from the outside, which is always so much easier than the inside, from the outside, it looks like sometimes they're in denial or right. evasive and not willing to deal with a situ- situation. And so many times, that's just not true. And, and, and people may be very clear of where they are. They often feel really embarrassed or demoralized because they don't feel like they have any control. They feel like all the control is, and all the decisions are just totally being taken away from them. And so right. when I'm working with somebody and we're in this stage of pre-contemplation, I think it's really important that that person really recognize why do we want to, why, what's good about this? Why do we want to stay here? So it feels really safe and it's comfortable. And this is something I know how to do. The first time I got married, I graduated with my four-year degree at 19. And on December 18th, I got married on December 23rd. My mother invited 300 of her closest friends. And the whole reason we married was because I knew how to do that. I knew how to, in that really immature 19-year-old mind, I thought, I knew how to be, I knew what was expected of me in this role. Because I didn't marry my father, I married my mother in in the form of a lovely man who none of this is his fault. (laughs) You know, he got caught in my play. And and so four years later, Mom had taken me to see Joyce Reynolds, who was my first opening into New Thought at all. And I rode around for three hours after that talk and thought, if I do one thing this woman says, I can't stay married. <laughs> and it was a horrible realization. I was so mad at her. Oh, my gosh. Even later, years later, I had to do tons of forgiveness work around it because Mm -hmm. that was the beginning of the shift for me. And it took me a long time to see. It took me a whole other year living it every day to realize this was really dysfunctional and terrible for both of us. And so sometimes it's a matter of we have to get clear with where we are and we have to finally get uncomfortable enough to know that that we need to change something, that that we require something else in our lives. And I can tell you for certain that if shift is happening in a business relationship or a personal relationship or a family relationship, that that shift, like it or not, is for everyone's highest and greatest good involved. Mm-hmm. We don't always like the initiation of the shift and we don't always like what we have to go through to get to the green grass on the hill. But we know in every moment that our highest good comes into play and that if, if, if change is coming, then absolutely there has to be something good for me. And so a lot of times for me, when I was in situations that I did not want to change, I had to hold on to that, Okay, if this is for my high, and I couldn't even say, you know, okay, I believe you. I would ask, if this is for my highest and greatest good, then you got to show me. 
because I, I can't. I'm not feeling it. <laughs> so you've got to show me. And my conversations with God became really, you know, adversarial for a while because you've got to prove to me why I have to change this. And and sometimes even a hook like that is enough to pull us through something. You know, Jamie, you said something earlier about faith, and I think that that's part of it. And for whatever reason, even as a little bitty child, I know that there was a little light or something inside me, even through everything that I went through, that I had a faith that there was a God or there was something bigger and greater than me and that I wasn't going to be dropped on my head, so to speak. And so I, I'm thinking about the the uh, story in the New Testament about Peter seeing Jesus walk on the water and then Jesus called him out there and the minute that he let his eyes fall down, <laughs> he sunk. And that's the same thing we do. The minute we take our eyes off of the Christ or off of the goal or off of God or the universe or whatever people want to call it, you know, then we get all caught up in what is and we get scared and we think. And that that's just so important. Jamie, what about for you? Well, um, I'm trying to be very careful here. Um, <laughs> two of my two of my friends, two of my two of my very dear friends are going through um, rebuilding the foundation of their relationship, which could end up being the end of their marriage mm-hmm. as as they've known it. Um, there is, there is. I mean, our our friends who are in this circle. I'm trying not to get emotional here. Right. We're we're sad, but we also keep trying to reassure both of them that something good is going to come mm-hmm. from all of this. Um, change and this shift and to keep holding on to the fact that you you do love each other um you know one of the things that i love about jerry and her ex-husband who i've never met but is the fact that they've remained friends right um and that that's a big my second ex-husband let's be clear (laughs) second (laughs) she's one of the gabor sisters um (laughs) you got it baby (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? That you can do that with such grace, and not that it probably didn't hurt, and each other went through their own thing. So that's what we're holding in mind for our friends. They have uh, two amazing children, um, and so that's why I want them to to keep doing that thing. I can't wait to see what good comes from this. To play big with each other. To remember, I there was a time in my life that I married you because I loved you, and I want to always love you. I may not be able to continue the relationship in this manner. But I, I I want to keep clear and clean that you have been such a major part of my life. And so that's that's the thing. And so anyone listening about this change thing, I mean, I've been there I had a relationship that just when it ended I was devastated. I did not want it to end and I'm doing the air quotes in front of my own face. But what I realized was <clears throat> when one door closes another door opens and it, and you know someone said the other day well i heard a rumor that you know the that your person your your love of your life died 7 years ago i'm like are you kidding me i haven't been in a relationship in 13 years so that's not true and then the person said oh i'm so sorry what are you sorry for that means you know the old thing about choosy mothers choose jiff 
I'm not desperate. <laughs> I'm not desperate. You hear me? Mm-hmm. But I know what I want, and I'm clear what I don't want to um, entangle myself in. But I know when that relationship ended, the change and the fear of letting that go, it, it devastated me. And so I know when someone writes and says, what are you don't want to let go? That's that whole thing, again, that we've been talking about, whether we're doing it from the spiritual, the emotional, or the physical um, of the brain function, it has to do with um, getting so humbled spiritually that you know God's got this, and I, I will cry, and I will kick and scream, and it changes absolutely nothing. And so I always say one of my favorite things in the Bible was when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Right. And it makes me want to cry every time I say it because I know there's been times in my life if I would have just said, it is finished, I could have probably walked away a little bit taller than I crawled into the room. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want our listeners to get is you may think you're going to die, but what was that quote from Steel Magnolias about that which does not kill us makes us stronger? And there's truth. And we've all thought, I'm sure Jerry, I'm sure Denise and myself, there's moments we thought we were going to die from heartache and fear, and we keep on keeping on. And those of you who are listening in, you you keep on keeping on and you trust that something good, no person, I say this affirmation all the time, no person, no situation or place can withhold my good from me. Only you and I do that. So when we want to stay stuck in our misery, we, we set up roadblocks and we set up crime scene tape around our lives so nothing can come to us. So... That's that's my take on it, and I'm glad I got to get that out. So, me too. So, Jerry, where are you going to take us here? Oh, I think it is important to remember to breathe. Yes. And even if it's just as simple as, oh, I'm not breathing, or I'm really shallow breathing. You know, when we're not doing a really deep, full breath all the way to our belly. Mm-hmm. It's harder. It's it's harder for the brain to to calm. It's more difficult to to calm the brain, and so I think it's something that that's so easy to do is to remember to breathe, is to remember to connect to our bodies, to make the brain and the body work together. And this we can do anywhere. And there are all different types of breathing, and there are all different types of of ways to to calm the system, but sometimes it's just as simple as take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. And when we don't know what to do, then we just, we don't do anything. We just wait. And when we know, we go, right? And so sometimes when we're not liking where we are and we're not liking the path we may have to take to get somewhere else, even though it's somewhere we don't necessarily see the need to go in this moment, that that breath kind of gives us a reprieve. It gives the body and the brain a chance to rejuvenate and to come back together and to regroup. And we need those opportunities because when we stay in that really tense, emotion all the time when we stay just on the edge of panic and anxiety we're not allowing we're not taking care of ourselves on on any level 
And I understand that there's not always time and money for massages and facials and, you know, different things that people want to do or to go take a mindfulness course or that kind of thing, and that's okay. Because ultimately, if we just start with breathing, if we just start with relaxing the system, then it gives us a chance to to really take care of ourselves and, and to change that neural pathway, to change that groove from I've got to stay here and I've got to stay vigilant and I've got to stay worried and watching and what am I, you know, to change that groove, we can do it with something as simple as our breath. Right. And I, I think those things are important to remember. There are all kinds of things. Four, seven, eight breathing. You can look it up on YouTube. We've talked about it on the show on several occasions. It takes 56 seconds. There is nobody on the planet that can tell me they don't have 56 seconds to calm their limbic system. When, when we start to panic, the brain cannot panic if you start to recite numbers that are non-sequential. Right. So when you start to recite a list of random numbers, you can't have a panic attack. Right. So I think those little things are those things that allow us the opportunity to wait until we have an answer or to wait until we feel like our good is coming or to be able to even see that this is a good situation for us somehow, somehow some way. Another super simple thing, and it sounds so silly, but if you smile, changes the brain, changes the way the brain processes. If you tilt your head back, you make more alpha waves. Harder for the brain to freak out if you're in an alpha state. Wait, you're saying just so leaning your head back? Mm-hmm, like looking up. And that don't mean like all the way up, like straight up, but even at a 30, 45 degree angle. If you just tilt the chin up for, well, usually the brain will start to respond in in about 60 seconds. Hmm. And that's an easy that's one. Cool. We sit up straight, posture. Our brain responds to our bodies just like our bodies respond to our brain. If you sit up straight and you smile, your brain thinks you're more confident. And quite frankly, I don't care what it takes. I don't care how we get there sometimes. Right. You know? And so if there are times that I have to sit up and I have to smile, even when I'm sitting in my office by myself or sitting at the light in the car, I can do that because I know that that's going to change the way my brain perceives my situation, and that's all I want. All I desire is for my brain to perceive this differently, where this is good for me. Wow. Wow. That's what I mean about people not realizing that there is things that we can do, and that's what I say when they say when the student is ready, the teacher will come. So anybody listening, if if you – 
uh, run this back if you didn't catch exactly what Jerry was saying, or even look for her on Facebook or go to her, her website, which she's going to tell us that in a few minutes before we go off the air. If you have questions, um, you know, Jerry, I was just thinking, I mean, I don't know if you've done it, but even like short little videos, if you and Sandy could do short little videos showing step-by-step step what, you know, the leaning of the head back that we could post on on the Facebook page here for our listeners to get it because there's these techniques that you give that a lot of people have probably never heard of. So I think it's really important. Okay, absolutely, I'll do that. Okay. So let's, do you have any upcoming events or anything that you're doing um, that we can tell our listeners about? And let's tell them about the website and what it is that you're available when you're traveling to do and how they can contact you. Upcoming events. I have some really fun speaking engagements. I'll be speaking in Austin on January 21st at the Texas Erland Convention. I will be speaking at the Mississippi uh, Conference for Exceptional Children the first week of February, and that's in Biloxi. In March, I am speaking to Louisiana State Nurses, uh, School Nurses Association in their conference. And we're going to work on calming down the brain. So I love to do workshops and interactive work with people, whether we do it over the phone or Skype or in groups. And if you'll contact me at efficientbrain.com, I am, I am more than willing to see how we can put something together. All right. Well, I, I just we Denise and I both say on the air and off that we love having you on. Um, we get a lot of information for our own personal lives, but we love having you on because you always give information that's empowering to our listeners. So, just thank you so much for taking the time to be with us again today, and know that we love you, and that I will see you soon. Oh, thanks, y'all. I love you both so much, and appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Bye, Jerry. All right. Talk Bye. to you. Bye. Okay. I mean, that was pretty powerful stuff. (laughs) It was. And, you know, the big thing that I kind of got from all of this, if I just wanted to, like, put it all the way down to the bottom, is that people change for two main reasons. Either they, you know, have their minds open enough that they're willing to look at the change or they have to really go down to the bottom of uh, their heart breaking and they just can't deal with it anymore. And, you know, I think I've been through both of those, you know. I know I've had two marriages and two broken relationships, and you have to get to a point to where you go, I just can't do this anymore, sometimes to go, okay, I can change. I can do something different, you know. I agree, and um, I think one of the things, I circled this, I think we ought to look at doing a show based on that whole comment, because I wrote it down, loving what is, and really yes. going in deeper with that, and even you know, even having uh, Dr. Judy Blackwelder back with us to discuss it, because I think a lot of the listeners really like it when we get personal, and we yes. share the things that have called us to come up and grow and be um, more mindful of how we live our lives. So again, everyone who's listening today, thank you for listening to us. Please share this on your Facebook pages. Get your friends to listen into the show because, you know, I say it again and then. Denise and I get uh, no pay for doing this. We do it because we're passionate about our spirituality, and we just want to thank you for listening in. We're going to close the show um, today again with one of my favorite songs that Dr. Judy Blackwelder wrote called Blinded by the Spirit. And so we leave you now with that and 
look for us on Facebook, Denise Jurgen, Jamie Sanders, Unity of Music City, Unity of Pensacola. Know that you are loved. We behold the Christ in you. And until next time, be good to yourself, be good to others, and keep spreading the light.